And good morning, Lighthouse. Good to see you this morning. Actually, I'm not really seeing you. I'm looking at an empty building, but I'm glad the tech team's helping us out to put together this service. Uh, we're back in our Bibles in 1 John, the second chapter, looking at verses 18 through to 23. John has been warning us in his letter about conflict between light and darkness and between love and hatred. I was going to warn us about a third conflict. This conflict has to do with doctrinal teaching or the difference between truth and error. I think we need to be discerning about people and doctrinal teaching. You know, we had somebody approach us here at Lighthouse a while back about to say, you know, Pastor, we, before we came, we actually went to the church website and we checked out the doctrinal statement of Lighthouse Church. I said, well, that's unique. And I said, we really like the doctrinal layout as to what the, the beliefs of Lighthouse Church was. And we really saw the emphasis on outreach, which we really liked. And that's why we thought we'd investigate this church and uh, and see what it was really like. And I thought that was rather unique because a lot of times when people look for a church, looking for a church that's uh, got the latest and greatest in terms of lighting, techniques, uh, music, uh, it just it's very rare to find somebody that says, you know, I really want to understand what it is you really teach in terms of biblical teaching. And, uh, you know, they, they checked this out, and then they then they looked at the people in this church, and then they walked away. No, 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 they didn't. And they actually felt very warm and very loved, and they're actually with us today. It's not enough, though, for us as Christians to walk in light and in love, but we also as Christians need to walk in truth. Uh, we're going to look at the tragic consequences of turning away from the truth, but first we need to realize the seriousness of this in our own lives. This passage of Scripture we're going to look at, in verses 18 through 23, we're going to deal with the whole aspect of spiritual discernment when it comes to people. We're going to look at spiritual discernment when it comes to doctrine. If you've got your Bibles with you, or you're listening online, that's cool. But I'm going to read to you from God's Word. And we're going to look at those verses. Children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that any Christ is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So John in that passage is revealing to us the, the presence and the dangers of the presence of the Antichrist. Now, we're only a few decades, they were only, we were only a few decades removed as they were at that point from hearing this message. Uh, when Christ had ascended and the spirit of Antichrist was already prevalent uh, 20 years after Christ had ascended, and then we read in this whole verse that we just read, it's the last hour. And we've heard that Antichrist is coming. And many Antichrists have come. And therefore, we, we know it's the last hour. Well, what's he really mean, in a sense, when he's talking about the last hour? He's addressing the church. And what does he really mean? Well, what he means is he seems like he's saying that they're living in the last time. And yet we know this, this passage was written 2,000 years ago. We're still here. Jesus hasn't returned. And so John was actually addressing a span of time between Christ's ascension and his second coming. John was living at the last time, and so are we, but the days 
my friend, are growing shorter. Christians have always been living with the awareness that Christ's coming is imminent. So it's really important to know what you believe, as many would dissuade us from and turn us from living and, and learning the truth. But the three terms that come to mind, we see the term antichrist, because it, when we think about the term antichrist, it, it, people come up with a lot of ideas what's it mean. Let me give you three biblical bases as to what it means. One, it's a spirit that opposes or denies Christ as seen in John 4, verse 3. It's also false teachers who deny Jesus Christ and deceive many. We see that in John 2, verse 22. And then we also see that it's an actual person who will establish worldwide rule and domination and lead the people of this earth in rebellion against God. The spirit of Antichrist, standing in opposition to all that is godly and righteous, is present with us today. We don't have to look too far. 1 John 4, 3 says, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. That is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. This has been happening in our world ever since Satan declared war on God in Genesis chapter 3, my friend. The idea anti, what's that really mean, anti-Christ? Well, it's got a twofold meaning. It can mean against Christ or instead of Christ. So Satan is fighting against the body of Christ, substituting his counterfeits to deceive the actual body of Christ if he can. The fact that we're living in the last hour should prompt us to live rather holy and godly with the expectancy that Christ is coming at any moment. So uh, when is he coming, someone said. When is he really coming? Well, the thing is, we really don't know. The, the best, uh, perhaps, illustration I can use is that, you know, when I was uh, growing up as a young lad, I was in charge of looking after my four brothers and babysitting for them while my mom and dad would go out. And what that meant was that as soon as mom and dad got out of the house and left, we could crank up the stereo and we could party as a great time. But if mom and dad said, hey, guess what? We're coming back at such and such a time. Guess what? When it got about five minutes before mom and dad would come back, we cleaned the whole house and we made everything look really, really good. Well, mom and dad had been a little smarter. They would have said, you know what? We're coming back any time. We're not telling you when. That would have left us with a little more apprehension in terms of, we better uh, do things right, because they could come back at any moment. And the idea of Christ's imminent return is the idea that we need holy, godly lives in expectation that Christ could come back at any time. But the disciples asked the question too, when is Jesus really coming? Well, in Matthew 24, 36, Jesus answered them saying this, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. See, only God the Father actually knows the day and time of Christ's coming. But does this make any difference in the way you believe? We're living in the last hour awaiting Christ's return. The spirit of Antichrist is very, very real. So it's vital to be wise and to know what you believe and discerning when it comes to the lies of the enemy. You need to remember that Satan is a deceiver. He is subtle. And he's not going to announce his presence. He's not going to say, hey, by the way, guys, I'm, uh, uh, I'm here. Yeah, I'm going to mess up your lives. I'm going to destroy every belief you have against God. And I'm just going to be, just let you know, here, here's what I'm all about. But you see, Satan has never, ever operated in that way. The Bible said he's, he's, he's subtle. He's deceptive. He's the father of all liars. And so when you really think about it, 
you need to understand this. What you need to understand is that Satan will seek to trip you up, to deceive you, as it were, to test the very elect of God. And so he will tempt you to do things that are contrary to God's word because he would say that God really is a killjoy and he doesn't really want you to have fun. So uh, isn't that what he told Adam and Eve? Because he asked them the question. He said, did God say to you that you couldn't eat of any tree in the garden? And they said, well, no, there's the one tree we couldn't eat of. And he said, you know, the reason why God doesn't want you to eat of that tree is because he knows if you eat of that tree in the garden, then uh, you will become exactly like him. So the fallacy of that statement is that God, as our loving Heavenly Father, was being portrayed as someone who was holding back something that was really, really good from Adam and Eve. And oftentimes we're made to feel like that way in, you know, in our lives. That there's, When you look at the scriptures, there's rules and guidelines as to how I ought to live. And if I live by those guidelines, I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to have fun. And God's withholding really good things from me. My friend, God does not withhold good from his children. And so he is a trickster. And he will ask you to and challenge you to place doubt in the goodness of God and in God's word. Let's pick up the next verse. We read in verse 19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be complained that they are not of us. Uh, this of us, of course, refers to the church. Not everyone that comes to church is part of the family of God. You need to know that. Let me clarify this, the one thing here. This verse does not apply to what I would call disgruntled people who leave an evangelical church to go start another evangelical church or join another evangelical church. The pastor here is saying that people who look like the real deal, who say the right words, uh, who look like Christians, he said their hearts really are unregenerate. They're not really born again. They're going through the motions. And they might have prayed a prayer. said, yeah, I accepted Christ. But they're still living with what I would call an unregenerate heart. They've not been born again. There's been no difference in their lifestyle. There's been no difference in their thinking. They're not really part of the church. And so the departure of people and from a church should alert us to the fact that people sometimes really aren't saved in the first place. They just try to mimic the real thing. See, a believer in Jesus Christ will exhibit certain traits. In 1 John 3.14, we read these words. We know that we pass out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. One of the true traits of a person who professes to know Jesus Christ is that he or she loves the body of Christ. You see, we profess to know Christ. You can't live in isolation and live against the teaching of Scripture. See, holiness, godliness, is never developed in isolation. God created the church's body to grow together. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, we read this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Remaining in the fellowship of a local church is evidence that I am part of the body of Christ. And yet, I need to qualify this with this. Sometimes God's children become discouraged. 
Sometimes they become hurt. Sometimes they become rebellious. And we know people that profess no Christ and actually have lived godly lives that no longer go to church and say, number one, I don't have time for church or I've been hurt by church. They've got so many different excuses. They might be disobeying the Lord right now. And they might seek their own way for a while. But if they truly belong to Christ, they will find they're being pulled back by the Holy Spirit. They'll be drawn back to the church, the body of Christ. You know how many times as a pastor I've seen people that are starting to come to church, especially when they have little children. And I said, uh, what happened? Well, I pastor, I received Christ as my Savior at a, at a very young age. And uh, I walked with Christ and I went to church. I even got baptized. But in my teenage years, I fell away from the Lord. And I started doing things that I knew that were just inconsistent with the teaching of Scripture. And as a result of that, I, I walked away from church because I, I didn't like being convicted. Then I met this wonderful gal. We got married. We had kids. And as we had these young children, I decided in my own life, Pastor, that I wanted my kids to have the same values that I did. You know what I think happened? I think sometimes God sometimes awakens a person who's been rebellious and pulls them back, but he brings them back to what? His body, the church. That is so very important. That's only one of the evidence of being saved. Jesus said in the parable of the sower and the seed that if you truly know Christ, if you really have a relationship with him, they, a true person actually who loves Christ will produce fruit in their lives. And so those who have left the church really didn't belong. And in leaving, they showed their true colors, showing... I don't really belong to the body of Christ. I, they came for a while, but they left. And they might say, yeah, I still believe, but hey, if you believe in Jesus Christ, the church, the body of Christ is important to you because it's commanded by God in Scripture to be part of the body of Christ. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, but he says, but you, you're trying to encourage them now, not the ones like the ones who've left, the ones who are staying. You've been anointed by the Holy One. That means he's referring to the Holy Spirit. And you all have knowledge. Our standing in Christ is assured. He wants to encourage them. Because you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. This kind of refers to how people in the Old Testament were anointed with oil at different times. It also refers to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost when they were given the Holy Spirit. John says his anointing was that something they'd received from God and it abides in them and it's something that teaches him. Jesus said concerning the Holy Spirit these words in John 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. See, false believers in that day were saying they had a knowledge from God that trumped what everybody else was saying. Sometimes people will come up to you and they'll say, hey, I've got a message from God, and he just revealed it to me because... And you, you kind of get the impression that they're so very special. And they've got this special word from God that's, that's going to trump whatever Scripture says. And by the way, that's really wrong. And so false teachers have been using the word anointing as a technical term for being initiated into their own special gnosis or knowledge. I have this special knowledge. Please pay attention, please, to what I'm about to say. There's nothing that should ever override what Scripture says. No revelation, no Word of God, no vision, no dream ever trumps what God's Word says. Hear me loud and clear. This Bible, the Word of God, is that which we are to examine and test everything by. 
get that straight and learn it straight. So when somebody says, hey, I've got something to say to you, there's the word of God. I say, okay, you got to say as you listen, is it matching up with what God's word says? Everything that is taught should first be measured by the accuracy of the word of God. God's word says in 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 this, all scriptures breathe out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, every believer who's in Jesus Christ is has the Holy Spirit who will guide them into truth. In 1 John 2.21, he says this, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. John was writing them to remind them of the truth that they already knew. See, what we sometimes really need in our Christian lives, folks, is not new truth, but we need to put into practice what we already know. Uh, I think it was Howard Hendricks said, we've been often educated beyond our intelligence. And sometimes we study, 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 but the, word needs, the question needs to be asked. In all your study, are you putting into practice what you're learning? See, the truth that they knew was true and not a lie, and like the lies that were being spread by the antichrists around them. See, as believers, we should never, ever tolerate lies or untruths. We're not going to be passively tolerant of false lies and teaching, especially when it comes to the Word of God. And I need to warn you of this as your pastor. See, postmodernism has now invaded the church through the what we call the emergent church. Say, Pastor, what's the emergent church? Well, I'm glad you asked. The emergent church movement falls in line with basic postmodernist thinking. It's about experience over reason, subjectivity over objectivity, spirituality over religion, images over words, outward over inward, feelings over truth. These are reactions to modernism, and they're thought to be necessary in order to engage actively contemporary culture. What books could you read about the emergent church and how to be careful about that? You can read a book by, What is the Emerging Church? by John Piper. Another one called, What's So Dangerous About the Emerging Church? by John MacArthur. And I'll uh, put that up on our website so you can check that out. There are churches that embrace postmodernist thinking, which eventually leads to a very liberal and loose translation of what God's Word teaches. This in turn leads to a liberal doctrine and theology, which is taking the church down as we speak. Why? Because experience is valued more highly than reason, and so truth becomes relative. Your truth is not my truth, and my truth is not your truth, so hey, whatever your experience is, that's what we always go by. See, relativism opens all kinds of problems as it destroys the standard that the Bible contains the absolute truth of the Word of God. It negates the belief that biblical truth can be absolute. You say, well, you know, when I'm reading the Scriptures, we need to understand that it is always God's truth. If the Bible is not our source for absolute truth, and personal experience is allowed to define and interpret what truth actually is, a saving faith in Jesus Christ is rather, rather meaningless. This growing movement downplays preaching. Uh, what can be more arrogant for one man to stand up and say that he is proclaiming truth, they would say. It magnifies sharing personal experience into accepting non-judgmental non uh, atmosphere. And so the whole idea is that my testimony and what happened to me trumps what Scripture says. And that's wrong. And that's why we try to be so careful. It's, it's good to 
hear people share their testimony, but as long as it always lines up with the Word of God, the personal testimony should never trump what God's Word teaches to you, my friend. So make sure that when you're spending time studying God's Word, you're listening to the Word of God and not putting your true trust in the testimony of someone who professes to know God. In verse 22, we read these words, Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So John starts out here with what I would call a rhetorical question. A liar is the one who speaks full of falsehood with the idea, let's, let's attempt and deceive people around me. And John confronts the person who is bent on turning the truth of Jesus' humanity into a lie. See, Gnostics in that day, in that era, who were being addressed, said that Jesus was born and died a man. And that the Christ, a divine emanation, was within him only during his public ministry. It descended upon him in his baptism. And when he ascended, uh, before he, not before he ascended, but rather when he went to the cross, the Spirit left him. So they take away the deity of Jesus Christ. They denied that Jesus Christ was God incarnate, God in the flesh. See, if you deny the truth about Jesus Christ and try to claim to know God, you are really deceiving yourself. There's times people say, well, I know God. I, and, and there's many different religions around the world that would say, yeah, I believe in God, but Jesus Christ, that's another story. John Calvin said an interesting statement. He said this, that since Christ is a sum of the gospel, heretics especially aim their arrows at him. Every religion apart from Christianity that claims to believe in God tend to deny his deity. Or they say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Talk to different cults, talk to different religions. You'll find out that oh, Jesus Christ, he was a good man. But they don't believe that he was the actual son of God. They don't believe he was God in the flesh. First John 2.23 says these words. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. It's often been said, we all worship the same God. Yeah, what a big fat lie. There are not different ways to God. People would say, yeah, you know, what you believe is okay, what I believe is okay. We're all going to get there. We all go to the same place. Again, a lie straight from the pit of hell. John 14, 6, Jesus was very straight and clear when he said these words. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, did you hear me? No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only through the Son that we can know God as our Father. It's only through the Son in his death that we have access to God as our Father. In John 12, 44 to 45, we read, and Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him, speaking of his Father, who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. He said, I and the Father are one. At that point, the Jewish leader said, let's stone me. He's claiming to be God. First Timothy 2.5 says this, For there's one God, and there's one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. God in the flesh. So let me conclude today by saying this. Could you personally have a knowledge of God and His Son in your head, but not really in your heart? It's not all that unusual. The words of 1 John 2, 22 seem harsh. Who is a liar, but he who denies Jesus is the Christ? The truth is that knowing about Jesus is not the same as knowing Him. We must acknowledge Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
who has accepted his forgiveness for our sins and enter into a personal relationship with him. The question is, have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because he is the only way. And as you understand that and come to comprehend that, the idea again here is that as he was addressing these believers, he wanted to encourage them. Don't believe the lies. Are there things that are going to take away from your Christian walk if you listen to them long enough? Yes. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's why, as believers, we need to devote ourselves to the very Word of God. That's why it's important to read your Bible every day. That's why it's important to spend time in prayer. Why? Because the spirit of Antichrist is present. There are people trying to tear down and destroy what God is doing. And it's not people. It's all uh, based on satanic conflict with God. It started in the Garden of Eden, and it's still continuing today. I got a, a text from a man this morning that told me that they were actually now closing churches in China from putting on online broadcasts. They want to stop that. Does that surprise me? No. And so, because right now, the only way the Chinese have a meeting together and, and churches that are not approved by the communist government is by meeting online. And now they're telling people in their communities, if you see that this is happening, please report them to the authorities. We need them to shut down. We don't want this happening. But it's just not happening. We, we need to pray, my friend, for people who are being persecuted for the faith all throughout our world. Just not in China. It's all over. Here in North America, it's a little more subtle. But you, if you have your eyes open and you, you understand God's Word, you're going to be able to discern through the Holy Spirit, this isn't right. And that's why there's a sense that we need to be bold in this day and era and speak God's truth and not be tolerant as it heard in the message. Don't be tolerant of untruths. Judge everything to the Word of God. Is it true? Is it a lie? Truth and error. The way that we discern that is through the written Word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Word to our hearts today. I pray you might bless us. Lord, continue to help each one of us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That we might discern truth from error. Lord, your desire for us is to be holy, to be godly. And Father, I pray for those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They know about Him but they don't know him. So, Father, I pray today that if there's one people that are even listening to this message, my friend, that you would put your faith and trust in Christ. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? First, you need to acknowledge that you are a sinner, that your sin has separated you from a holy God, and that the only way that you can be redeemed, the only way that sin can be taken care of is as you acknowledge it and come before God and ask him to forgive your sin, and you place your belief and the fact that he died on the cross and rose again for you. The Bible says very clearly in Romans 10, verse 13, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All you can do is say, Lord, please save me. And he will. And then on that response, as the Holy Spirit comes in your life, there's going to be a natural desire and intensity to want to grow. You want to become part of the family of God. You want to spend time with other believers. That will be a natural response to being born again, to being saved. And if you're looking for a church, there's a lot of good churches here. And we'd like to invite you to come to even the, to Lighthouse and check us out when this whole pandemic thing is over. And Father, I pray too for those who are struggling with this whole fear and anxiety that's happening with our pandemic. And Lord, uh, in such a time, help us to put our trust in you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.